So God, I, uh, I know the names that I've lifted you, and I just pray that and you, know the, you know all the names, you know the stories of all the names, you know the connections, how we know these people. And uh, Jesus, just how you drew Matthew to yourself, that God drew him to you, and multiple women and men throughout the Bible, multiple women and men throughout history. The Bible tells us they're only drawn to you, Jesus, if the Father stirs them to be drawn to you. So we're asking for that. And uh, we believe you're, you hear our prayers. And we believe you don't want anyone to perish. You want all to come to follow Jesus. So we're asking for those people that we've, uh, you've put on our hearts. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, quote for the day, start with. As the project, here, all right. If the church is not relevant in a time of crisis, then it's not relevant in a time of peace. I read this quote recently this week, and that was really good. If a church is not relevant in a time of crisis, then it's not relevant in a time of peace. It's not the same thing, but it kind of what generated these two signs a couple years ago that when things get really challenging, these two things really matter. Color of carpet, songs we sing, those things don't matter. But if the church isn't relevant in a time of crisis, then it's not relevant in a time of peace. Now, that quote actually came from, go to the next slide, a Ukrainian pastor. Uh, it was, you can't really see the picture that well, but it was this man right here, Vassal. Um, my brother lives in the Chicago area, and in some kind of coincidence or God-ordained thing, these four men visited their church, and two of these men stayed in my brother's home this week. Um, two of them stayed across the street. And uh, they're all back in Europe now. I think a couple of them are even back in um, Ukraine. But one of them uh, wrote an article that was published in the U.S. where this quote comes from. He talks about the church is supposed to be relevant in these times. times. Another one, the guy on the far right is a super over, overseer of 140 pastors and churches, Mikolai. He had a YouTube video that was translated. So I just, I'm, I'm, I decided I'm, I'm going to take quotes from what they wrote and what they said and just blend it in with the Gospel of Matthew. Because it's really, how do you live in a time of crisis? And Aaron, you're, you're downplaying your crisis with Knox compared to Ukraine, but I wouldn't say it should be downplayed at all. We all have a different kind of crises. Not, maybe not as challenging as Ukraine or as challenging as what Sadie and Aaron have to do, but it seems like the times of crisis in our lives is when it's a real test for whether or not the spirit of Jesus is alive in us or not, or how we proceed. First world. Um, I mean, my biggest crisis this week was my cable went out. I mean, I'm just, I mean, but that's not the first world crisis. We all have those, but that's not a crisis compared. So in the church is not relevant in the time of crisis, then it's not relevant in a time of peace. So how do you, how do we become the kind of people that are relevant? So when crisis hits, the message we talk about, the, the, the life we live in Jesus is relevant. It's easy to be relevant in times of peace to some degree, all right? So what I did was, go, go to the next slide here. So this is Ukraine. You guys know, you've, if, anybody else have to admit they had to look on a map to make sure they knew where Ukraine was? Who hasn't even looked on a map because you just don't, don't. <laughs> all right? So it's Ukraine. Romania's down here. I think this is the Black Sea, right? So, um, so that's their reality now. So we've been doing a series called... <laughs> Follow Jesus, so I just did it this way. Go to the follow Jesus in the back, you know, there's no one like him. So it's kind of with the, the, the map in the back. How do we follow Jesus in times of crisis? And what does Jesus have to say with that? And the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says all kinds of things 
that are relevant to how, how do we follow him in crisis? How do we follow him so we're the kind of people that when crisis hits, we have a relevant living alive faith? So we've been doing this series uh, from Gospel of Matthew, and last week we did, go to the next slide, we did the Gospel according to Matthew. We did, I started on the Sermon on the Mount, and I was actually planning to do that this week. I changed gears, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. I can't remember when. I mean, I think God put it on my heart to think about it differently because my brother sent me all this information. So uh, <laughs> I was so planning to do the other, the, I told you before with Matthew, whenever you hear the stories of Jesus healing or teaching, always imagine the Pharisees over in the corner listening in, because that's kind of how it was. There was always tension. So I'll have this next week, but next week we're going to have this up over here, all right? So the Pharisees are always going to be listening in, because they always were with Jesus. So I, I made this thinking we're going to do the uh, second part of Matthew 5, but every week I'm going to have this somewhere over here, because the Pharisees are always listening in. I was trying to figure out how to put my face on one of these people, because we can all be that way, right? But I've never had a beard, so I don't know. So anyway, so I just uh, remember the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' teaching was always tense because the Pharisees were always around. But in this case, we're just going to talk about, Jesus talked about the good life. That's what he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole nature of how he talked about his mission in the Gospel of Matthew was about the good life. So how do you live the good life? And we tend to think, like I said last week, the good life is the American dream, but it's not. It has nothing to do with financial prosperity or things like that. So the real test for the gospel that you teach or live is, does that gospel teach, does it work in a crisis situation, like in Ukraine? If I'm honest, and maybe you know what I'm talking, you hear some preachers preach and their message of, you know, God gives you what you want and the health and wealth. That may not preach very well in Ukraine right now. So if the gospel that you hear preached won't preach in crisis, it's probably not the gospel. Because uh, some of the self-help gospel of health and wealth stuff today, I guarantee you, it's not going to preach in Ukraine, Ukraine today. They need more than that. They need deeper than that. So, so what I've done is I've got... Uh, and don't worry, I'm not going to treat them like points in an outline. I've got seven different quotes. I've pulled out some of these articles and some of these guys' YouTube messages, and then seven different verses where what Jesus says melds exactly with what they're saying. Because again, these are men who are following Jesus, and women, but I'm talking about these four pastors. They're following Jesus in the midst of crisis, all right? So let's go to the first one. Uh, While the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in the struggle. It's one of them wrote. And he even made the point that their, their job is not to be political activists. He said in a previous political tension ten, seven years ago, there were some that supported the government, some that reported the, some pastors that supported the government, some pastors supported the rebels, and they basically said, that's not our job either one. We are activists for the kingdom of God. We are not activists for Trump or Biden. We're not activists. They, they didn't say that. But, so we're, our job is not to be activists politically. Not, not that we shouldn't be involved, but their job, they understand it. Our job is to be an activist for the kingdom of God. So in light of this, same quote, go to the next slide. This is one thing Jesus said. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So there is a struggle, but we're, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus, his life, his people, um, Jesus said, 
The gates of hell won't overcome it. So the gates of hell aren't the aggressor. The church is the aggressor. We're, we're the ones who uh, we have a role to play in the struggle. Whether it's the Ukrainian or our world here in the U.S. or your family or whatever, there's a spiritual battle going on that really has nothing to do with politics. You'll notice how very little Jesus makes political statements, if at all. He might rip on Herod a little bit or things like that. But he, Jesus, and they were, under, they were oppressed. They were under Roman rule. But Jesus didn't seem to talk about politics a lot. So these, one of the pastors wrote this, church might not fight like the nation. In other words, we're not activists politically. Uh, we still believe we had a role playing the struggle. Next one. We believe God is with us, and that is the most important thing. So in the midst of all this, and I'm, I'm saying this partially because sometimes it's good to argue from extremes. So in this extreme situation they're going through, if we can get a f- feeling of that, then it's like, oh, maybe the crisis I'm going through might be a big crisis, might be a micro crisis, but we all have crises, right? If we can figure out what it looks like in, in the big crisis, then I can understand now, how do I become the person now that when the crises hit, small c, that I can respond in a way that is res- like responding like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, all right? So we believe God is with us. That's the most important thing. So they said in the midst of everything, we're afraid, people are afraid, and these, these pastors have all been committed to going back to Ukraine with their people, all right? So what, what does Jesus say about this? He says, I'm sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So they, they, it's not just a statement to them. They believe it, that in the midst of what they're going through, what Jesus said is true. I'm with you, always. I'm, I'm with you through the crisis you're going through. I'm with, I'm with you, the church in Ukraine. I'm with you when you're going through health crises or financial crises. I'm with you. Don't ever forget that. I'm with you, he said. All right, next one. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. And these moments produce in us an inner strength to persevere. And when you just connect struggle with strength to persevere, I think uh, strength to persevere is only developed through struggle. Most of you could probably think of times in your life where you grew spiritually. I'm guessing it may have been a time of hardship, a time of struggle, and then you, God used that give you greater confidence and faith in him. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle and those moments produce in us inner strength to persevere. Again, no political statements at all from these pastors. I mean, they, they don't want the Russians, to, you know, whatever. Actually, two of those pastors, of those four, two are Russian who speak Russian and live in Ukraine. Two are Ukrainian who speak Ukrainian and they, but all, they all minister together. So they're kind of modeling something there too. So in light of this, what does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 24, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So perseveres, endurance. So whatever's going on in your life, and you might say, it's easier said than done, Jesus. You say, don't panic. Sometimes it's translated, take heart. Don't lose heart. And I can lose heart over the silliest of things. I mean, I can lose heart. I didn't lose heart when my cable went out. But when other things happen that are kind of crises, it's easy to panic. But Jesus says, don't, don't panic. You're going to hear all kinds of possibilities are going to go wrong. Wars, rumors of wars, financial issues, health issues, but don't panic. Don't panic. So 
again, we have a chance to learn in the lab of kind of peace. So when things happen and you find yourself panicking, you know, go to Jesus. But how do we become the people who don't panic? Just like these pastors said, we think we, we want to produce in our people inner strength. I mean, I think about the health issues, whether it's, you know, what Judy had to go through or Sadie and Aaron with Knox and um, I'm guessing an inner strength to persevere is what's been developed. Isn't that what God's point is? All right. Next one. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians respond in their time of need. They really believe that their role is to stay there and take care of people, even those who aren't in their church. They, they bought extra food. They bought extra fuel. They actually had a, a couple days in their churches teaching basic first aid. So if people get injured, they, so they, they're not just thinking about pie in the sky heaven. It's like, how do we help people now? And so they want, they want their light to shine. So Jesus says, Matthew 5, let your light shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. How does your light shine in crisis? Does your light go out in crisis? Sometimes if I'm honest, in crisis I've had to endure nothing major like this, but my light kind of flickers a bit because all I think about is me. But they're realizing, you know, we're thinking about those around us, those in our church, those not in our church. So again, the, the things they're saying and how they're living is exact reflections of what Jesus said. A few more. We can pray like Esther, Old Testament. The king was going to wipe out the Jewish people. Esther's plea to the king and to God was, you stop the king from, king from doing that. So he, they're referring to that. We can pray like Esther that the Lord will remove the danger as he did for the ancient people. So, yes, we're gonna, they're going to pray that the war will stop. Just like you might pray that this financial issue would stop, this health issue would stop, this relational crisis would stop. It's okay to pray for those things. But they acknowledge we're going to pray that way, but we have to still deal with what happens. So the, the, the best reflection of that from Jesus is when to go to the next slide. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew he had to go through the cross. And he prayed this prayer, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. In other words, remove this from me. It's okay to pray that way if something's going on in your life. God, remove this situation, this crisis in my life. Remove it. Stop it. Change it. It's okay to pray that way. God hears our prayers. He doesn't always do exactly as we understand and we want it done. But that's what they said they're praying for in Ukraine. They'll pray that way, but they're praying with this attitude of, but I want, your, I want God's will to be done, not ours. Not that God's will is the Russians taking over Ukraine or you getting cancer or losing money. Because God's will is always to develop us the character of perseverance and strength, right? Next one. We are praying for peace in the hearts in the face of great danger. So they're praying for their congregations, their people, they have peace. We are praying for trust in God. Because in those situations, I guarantee it, like I get rocked by what I'll call micro financial crises or micro health crises or micro relational crises. Those rock me. And peace isn't always there. So I think if I'm in that situation, so how do we become people where in the face of danger, peace rests in our hearts? Trust. 
rests in our hearts. Again, what did Jesus say from the Gospel of Matthew? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And if you're like me, sometimes you want to say back to Jesus, how can you say that to me? You know what I'm facing. But he says, no, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. God takes care of the birds, and you're way more valuable than that. So I don't think God ever shames us for our fear. He's trying to encourage us out of it. Don't be afraid. The thing you're facing that you think is impossible to endure, or you might even think, which we all might think, does God even know what I'm going through? Does he even care? And that was the context where Jesus says, well, your father knows how he takes care of the birds, and you're way more valuable than the birds. They, they, they get fed. The flowers are clothed in beauty. So don't worry about your food or your clothes. Don't worry about those things. I, I still remember there was one time we were, our family was flying down to Florida um, for a cruise paid by for somebody else. So this is not a first world problem, but and we got diverted to LaGuardia, which to me, pardon the language, is the hell of airports, right? And we got to LaGuardia, and then we found out our flight to Florida was canceled, and we had to spend the night in New York, and our luggage was all in the plane somewhere. We had no idea where it was. You know, we had four little kids, so it's like... And I remember thinking, we didn't have our toothbrushes. I mean, that's a first world problem, right? But I remember thinking, in a small way, Wow, this is what most people must feel like when they're like going through a revolution or they're immigrants and they don't know they, all they have is the clothes on their back. And it was for a small glimpse for me, and I, and I was kind of panicking, but it was a small glimpse like, wait a minute, I, we'll get this stuff back in 24 hours. We had to go to the hotel without anything but our clothes on our back, and that sounds so arrogant in first world, but for me it was like, oh, how do I trust God when all I have is a clothes on my back? And I had to do it for 24 hours, and that was a challenge for me. I want, I want to be way deeper than that, right? Don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Next one. And this is the last one, and this one is my favorite one. They're all good. But this actually was spoken by the, the pastor on the right, Mikolai, who's the one who oversees 140 churches. It was in a YouTube video. He's speaking in Ukraine or whatever, but it's translated. But he was saying, you know, we're praying for this for our people, praying for this for our people. We're praying for, he said, we're praying for the soldiers of Russia. That they would lay down their arms. But then he said this, we pray for our enemies because that's what God told us to do. I have another one on my side. I had this made a while ago, but I thought this was, I had this made during the whole uh, George Floyd and all that stuff, but I was going to go downtown. I never did it. I have all these signs that if anybody wants to challenge me, like, I'll give you 100 bucks if you do that. I'll do it. Maybe for, maybe for 50 I might even do it. But anyway, uh, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. This alone sets Jesus apart from any other world leader. I don't know that any other world religion challenges us to pray for our enemies, to forgive our enemies. And like he said, we, we do this because 
God told us to. We pray for others because what we, God told us to do. Jesus says this in the and Actually, this is one of the passages we would have covered today. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount about revenge. And pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And he's not just talking political kind of issues, but when life gets hard, those who are causing your, your hardship, whether it's whether it is economic health or ultimately the spiritual challenge when Christians get persecuted. Go to the next slide. It just says this. Just, you've heard the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. All right? That's where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He's looking at the Pharisees. They've interpreted the law this way. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That was the Pharisaical understanding. That was religion. And that's most religions today, including some even in Christianity, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So then I thought, okay, what about, I didn't know that any of us have enemies. But you, you might have some enemies, small case E, 10-point font, people that have hurt you, people that are hurting you, people that will hurt you and you'll have to deal with them in the future. This so much sets Jesus apart. When he says this, and that when this pastor said this on his little YouTube video, we pray for our enemies. It's like, to most people in the world who have no knowledge of Jesus or no relationship with Jesus, that's a shocking statement. Why in the world would you pray for your enemies? Why would I, why would I forgive this person who wounded me? Why would I pray for this person who hurt me deeply 10 years ago, 20 years ago? There was actually somebody, I don't think any of you would know him because it was a while ago, somebody who left this church, and I talked to him after, and they said, well, it was the message you gave about forgiveness and forgiving our, those who've hurt us. He said, I can't do that, so I don't want that. It's, it's one of the most challenging things of following Jesus, but it's a core life-giving reality of how Jesus teaches us. So again, I don't know your enemies. I don't know who's hurt you. Um, there's somebody I've thought, and I think I'm going to say it now because I think I'll do it. There's somebody who was hurtful to me, and I'll say a small way, but it was hurtful. So I think this week I'm going to send, it sounds kind of silly, I'm going to send him a Starbucks gift card. I might sign it too. I'm not going to say, hey, you hurt me, here's Starbucks, hope you burn your mouth or whatever. Uh, but as far as they know, we're okay. As far as they know, we're okay, but it's still there's some hurtful things that I just like, I got to let it go. So I might just say, I know you like Starbucks. Um, I, thought, I just thought about you, and I thought you might enjoy this, period. It's not like a dagger anymore, but I, maybe there's something like that you could do. I've sent things anonymously to people, gift cards. Um, I don't do that a lot, so if you get an anonymous gift card, it's probably not for me. Ask me if you think it might be, so nobody here is going to get one from me anonymously. I might give you one publicly to thank you for something. But there are, there are little things uh, you can do. I mean, because Jesus said, I was just telling somebody last week, um, they were saying, well, I've got to the point now where I'm not going to get revenge anymore against this person. And I said to them, and I had to be challenged myself with that, the, the ethic of Jesus is not simply I'm not going to get back at them. The ethic of Jesus is I'm going to bless them. That's totally different. I can say, I'm not going to get back at this person who hurt me. But then to say, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to bless them, and I'm going to send them a Starbucks card. It's kind of like, wait a minute, you, that's... that's, that's a, because that's when, that's when Jesus said, and we talk about this in a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, remember, he talks about going the, uh, if a soldier asks you to carry his gear one mile, go the extra mile. You know that phrase we always use? Well, the, the mentality was the Romans could require any Jewish citizen to carry their gear for one mile. It was just the law. Hey, carry my gear for me. One mile. So if I'm a Jewish person... And the soldier says, carry my gear for me. I will count out 5,279 feet and 11 and a half inches, right? And I'll drop it one half inch past them. Jesus said to people, no, no, no. Go another one. And you can imagine the response would be like, why? I, I did what the law requires of me. And Jesus is like, no. But my spirit in you requires you to do more than that. Bless them. But Jesus is the enemy. I know, bless them. So when, so when these men, so they're praying for their enemies, and Jesus said, no, love them, pray for them, pray for those. So maybe there's some way that God's asking you to bless an enemy. It may be something as simple. I've, I've mentioned this before. There was a person in my life, I'll just say the person's name was John. I felt like God wanted me to pray out loud, only with me in the room, just and out loud so I could hear it, God, I want you to bless John. It was hard for me to say that out loud because I didn't. I, I, uh, God, I want you to blah, blah, but yeah, then I finally went, God, I want you to bless John. When I heard myself say it, I thought, God, I do want to be that way toward this person. You got to help me because I don't want to, I don't really, in my flesh, I don't want to bless them. But in my, but in, because of you and me, I want to, so you have to help me know how to do that. So there may be little ways for you to, to bless those who have hurt you, or pray for those who persecute you. They, they don't have to be these massive things. It may be something small God's asked you to do, so your heart changes. So that was all seven of them. I had seven quotes, so go back to the, so the, the main passage. Go to the next slide. So Jesus' challenge in Matthew is always to follow him. So these four pastors have committed themselves to following Jesus through a dark time, challenging myself and you to follow Jesus through whatever times you're going through. Who knows what any of our future holds, right? What kind of dark times might be ahead for us individually or corporately? We don't know. But I thought it was a good way to connect with what's happening in the world. And so the theology isn't just theoretical. It's real life kind of stuff because that's where you and I live. We live in real life. We don't live in Ukraine, but we still live in real life. So how many pray, and then we'll take communion. So God, I, I first want to pray just... Um, even for these four pastors. Um, I know there's many more in Ukraine that follow you, Jesus, but I would pray for these four that they would, you would um, strengthen them in their spirits with your Holy Spirit and give them wisdom, uh, give them insight, give them courage that only comes from you. Not macho, not political power, but the kind of courage that you have, Jesus, the kind of strength that you have, Jesus, the kind of forgiveness that you have. Give those to those men, to their families, to their churches. But God, in the same way, pray for us that you would give us strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, mercy, courage, spirits of forgiveness, 
and a trust that this world is never going to be our home. But when things happen, we don't have to panic because we trust you. We trust your words. Everything you said, not just in the Gospel of Matthew, but especially in the Gospel of Matthew, reminds us not to be afraid, not to worry. You take care of the flowers and the sparrows, so of course you're going to take care of us. So whatever we're walking through right now, I just pray for the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. I pray for the defiant kind of joy that only the Holy Spirit can give in crises. So I pray for a deep-seated joy in all of us. So when pressure comes, crises come, what comes out of us is not anger, anxiety, fear. What comes out of us then is peace and joy, not fake, real, in a way that people around us are totally attracted to the light of Jesus because they see us responding in a way that has no human explanation. We want to be those kind of people. And so we ask you to build that inside of our souls and uh, help us to follow you with great joy and great courage. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.